This podcast episode about the Baba Yaga and Russian folktale collectors was recorded before Ukraine was attacked and invaded by Russia. While this episode should not be viewed as support for the actions of the Russian government, we are reminded that the folk are not their government. Thousands of Russians turned out in protest of the war on Ukraine on February 25th, and nearly a thousand in Moscow alone were arrested. Russian people have a long history of using folk and fairy stories as an act of resistance, and we know that they will continue to resist. We of the fairy tellers stand with Ukraine. Once upon a time, in a land far away, I'm Katrina. And I'm Jeff. And welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat. While we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the podcast for a much anticipated episode. I know I'm excited. As always, Katrina, you're excited or we would not be here doing this. Yeah. Obviously. Facts. It is Baba Yaga Day, which is the only thing that's been keeping me going since (laughs) Tuesday had come (laughs) and gone. And I thought that I had nothing more to look forward to. And after today, I won't. So who knows? (laughs) It's It's those little milestones of joy. Yeah. So just... Just keep kicking pebbles down the road and walk into that pebble just so that you can kick that pebble one more time. Yeah, that's how, that's that's actually very wise. That was. It was surprised. I just thought of it just now, and it was profound. And <laughs> yeah. now I've completed my whole mission on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> you came here to say that. Yeah. And now you two are done. Yep. <laughs> Baba Yaga has come up. Multiple times in small ways Mm -hmm. on the podcast before. So if you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, you may have heard of Baba Yaga heard a little bit about her, seeing her in other stories. But today is all about Baba Yaga. And this is actually a fan request, which this year, that's what we're doing. Fan requests as much as we can, answering questions that people have come up. So not only is this a fan recommendation, but this fan recommendation came in before we announced uh, that fan requests were going to be our main project this year. (laughs) But Baba Yaga is a character that a lot of people have heard about, especially since The Witcher Season 2 came out. Mm. But she's also a character that people might not know a whole lot about. Like, they might not be culturally familiar with Baba Yaga and what her whole deal was. Yeah, and in a strange way, too, because it's like, even if you don't know the name Baba Yaga and you don't really know anything about the character, lots of people have still seen, like, imagery related to Baba Yaga. I know I was that way. When I first heard mm-hmm. Baba Yaga, I was like, I don't know who that is. You're like, oh, she's like a witch that lives in the woods that has a house with chicken feet. I was like, I've definitely seen a house with chicken feet before. Yes. Where have I seen that? And that's like something that comes up or there's like certain elements of the character that come up in other ways. So it's like, you probably have, if you haven't heard of Baba Yaga, you've probably actually seen something and you just didn't know that yeah. it was related to Baba Yaga. What's crazy is my sister knew that we were like doing this episode and she is doing a 
Marvel's cinematic universe marathon and her like for her own personal enjoyment currently. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she was watching Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah. And there's this like one character that's like a a ghost, but before they kind of know what she is, she's a person that's like phasing kind of like in and out. And so she just like she is wearing like all white and she just kind of like pops out of like the darkness and just suddenly is there and then disappears. Anyway, yeah. when one character was like describing what what had happened, how they had gotten attacked by this thing that they didn't know or understand like what it was, this other character who has like a Russian accent, he was like, it's the Baba Yaga. <laughs> well, I heard about her and the stories. And so like, he is talking about like being a child and knowing about this woman. And it was interesting because like in the scene, everybody that he was talking to kind of looked at him like he was like crazy. Cause they're like, I don't know yeah. like, what you're talking about, but it was just like uh-huh. hilarious because he's like, Baba Yaga, she comes for you in the darkness. <laughs> and like, this is a character that I have known about since I was little, just because one of the stories about her, that is not a story that we're going to um, retell today, but um, it pops up in like the same collections. It had been like redone in kind of like a cartoon style and like an easy reader. And it was like scary stories for little kids, kind of a like book. And I remember my mom like reading that to us like around Halloween time or whatever. And I was so terrified because it's like Baba Yaga is a witch, but unlike, you know, a witch with like a gingerbread house, like in the black forest in Germany, (laughs) this lady has a house that looks like a monster itself. And And it is ambulatory. Yeah. And she doesn't look like the witch that is in like the house in the black forest uh, in like Hansel and Gretel. Yeah. She looks like a kindly old woman and you end up like being tricked. Baba Yaga. I've seen zero depictions of her where she ever looks like somebody's grandma. And if, (laughs) and if your grandma does look like Baba Yaga, like, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Apologies. So when I was a kid, I had this one story about Baba Yaga. And for a number of reasons, you know, she stayed with me. Not not just because of like the look of her, but also like the name Baba Yaga is also a name that is so foreign, I think, to me personally, that it didn't have the same connotations as just like a witch. Because witch... That word to me has a bunch of possible different meanings and looks and, you know, what it could be in like a story. But Baba Yaga is only one thing and it is terrorizing. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, just like you mentioned, we've we've talked about her a couple times in podcasts, like in the Frau Holly episode she's come up but she's only featured in one story that we've ever told on the podcast and that was in the animal brides episode um she was in the story of the frog princess where she helped ivan to kill cachet the deathless Deathless. yeah and who also has a such an awesome name yes (laughs) it's a pretty cool character too indeed she was and we talked about that episode i believe like helping our protagonist 
Yes. Which is not necessarily always the case. Yeah, we noted like in that episode that that kind of behavior isn't really what she's best known for. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll talk a little bit more about that later because there's actually like a really interesting um, like thought as to why sometimes she's helpful in stories and why she's not. Yeah. Because what she's best known for is being a cannibalistic witch in the woods who lives (laughs) in a hut that sits on chicken legs and she like terrorizes children and people who generally get lost in the dark wood. Quick note, the hut is also said to sit on basilisk legs. Uh. Um, But basilisks have chicken legs. Yeah, they're chimeras. <laughs> they're like combinations of different animals. Yeah, but it sounds cooler to say that yeah. the hut has basilisk legs. A bas- it has basilisk legs, but a, the legs of a basilisk are the legs of a chicken. Yeah. What is also interesting for people who have watched The Witcher in season one, the very first episode, he says that he killed a Kikimura. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is a um like a, a Slavic creature, but what they showed in The Witcher is like a, yeah. a crazy big spider monster type yeah. of thing. But a Kikimura is actually a like a house spirit that can look very, very human like. And it can either be helpful helping you do chores and stuff if It's one of those like house spirits that like if you are doing really good, maintaining the house, keep it it helps you. But like if the house is like messy, it gets upset and can like do damage or whatever. But Uh it also has chicken legs. Ah. So yeah. It's a thing. And it's really interesting because if you look at pictures um of Kiki Moore, it's K-I-K-I-M-O-R-E. If you mm-hmm. look at pictures of them, the, when I was looking at it, it looked to me a lot like it would be like Baba Yaga's best friend. <laughs> and I'm trying to remember if this like Kikimura. Oh, yeah, they are. They're part of the sleep paralysis spirit tradition <sighs> of like the oh, what are they? What do people call them now? Sleep paralysis demons. Yeah. <laughs> Where like. This, and I'm just reading off of like Wikipedia for this sentence right here. It says, it's a common belief that Mora enter the room through the keyhole, sits on the chest of the sleepers and tries to strangle them. Please don't. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm like, yeah, it's part of the that like sleep paralysis demon tradition. And in my head canon, uh, like Baba Yaga's best friend. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Since season two of The Witcher came out, a listener, hello, Sarah. I know her name because she follows us on Instagram. Uh, But she messaged me from Instagram and asked if we'd done an episode about Baba Yaga. And I thought in my head, oh my gosh, in two and a half years, we've not done an episode on (laughs) Baba Yaga. I make memes about her all the time, but we like haven't devoted like an episode to her so besides the fact that Baba Yaga is a character in season two of the witcher um i don't think that this episode is going to contain like a lot of spoilers it 
might a little. I don't know what people consider spoilers. It, I'm not going to give away, like, I'm not giving away any of, I think, like, the major plots. But I, I'll just go ahead and say, like, spoiler alert past this point. The main yeah. focus of this episode is going to be on Baba Yaga and not the Witcher. But they do have some really interesting stuff in the Witcher that plays uh, with the lore of Baba Yaga and especially the story that we're going to be telling today. And they did a lot to make it their own, which is like yeah. really classic for the Witcher series, like as a whole to take Fun. something yeah. that people are already aware of, but kind of turn it into um, its own thing. Yeah. So interesting fact in the Witcher book series, Baba Yaga does not appear. Oh, wow. It's just something they brought in for the show. Specifically. Yeah. Interesting. I was watching the on Netflix. They have um, like kind of like the making of or behind the scenes or whatever for like the Witcher. And I was like listening to that to, you know, hear what the director crew or whatever thought about uh, the writers, like a lot of the writers, just because I was interested. And they said, like, we pulled in Baba Yaga specifically to use as like kind of like a plot device to grow the characters in the way that they wanted to grow the characters for the series. And then also to kind of like get, get the players, the main players of the series where they needed to be physically for what's going to be happening in like season three. But they decided to do kind of what had already been done in the Witcher, which is to take existing folklore from an area. It's mostly uh, Slavic folklore Mm -hmm. and work with that and so they obviously did their research because of some of the stuff that we'll like talk about today but back to talking about baba yaga herself in the oxford companion to fairy tales the baba yaga entry says the witch in slavic fairy tales her most common attributes are a bony leg sign of her being dead non-human a hut on chicken legs and a mortar which she uses for transportation often she is portrayed spinning which connects her to the ancient figure of fate like all witches baba yaga has an ambivalent function since she can be both the opponent and the helper of the protagonist So what is interesting to note, too, is that she is useful more often to men like Ivan, who stumbles upon her hut, and she is more likely to be cannibalistic and cruel to women or young girls who usually have to be very clever or helped by others due to, like, the protagonist's own kindness to get away alive. Yeah. So, um, that's interesting. Yes. And one of the reasons that has been theorized why that is true is because Russian folklore is in a very interesting geographical position because Mm -hmm. it was pulling both from the like European folk traditions but also from like turkish folk traditions Mm -hmm. and serbian folk traditions and so the stories had gotten mixed in a very interesting way and so some of the european variants for tales 
when there was a witch or a wise woman, just an mm-hmm. old woman in the woods who had some kind of magical powers, who would be considered a donor character, a helpful character. Mm-hmm. When they migrate, when those stories migrated from like Europe, the woman who was in the woods just automatically got switched with Baba Yaga. Uh. And so Baba Yaga would just get placed in there. And one of the places where I feel like this becomes more apparent is there's a story where this man is kind of on this like long search to uh, find this woman. And there are lots of stories that we see like that, where they're like a, a person is going from place to place in search of a lost bride or whatever. Yeah. And they're helped along by these women in the woods who have sisters who are like, Oh, go to my sister. She will go to my sister who lives in the East, go to my sister who lives in the West, you know, type of the thing. Yeah. And like an East of the sun, West of the moon. Yes, exactly. Well, there was like the winds that was like that, but also like the old, the, the hag and the crag. Yes. Yes. Hags in crags. Multiple. Yeah. Also, oh man, what story is it? I I, I want to say that it's the Nicks, the Nicks in the Mill Pond. This mm-hmm. woman goes to witches to help her. It might be the same witch over and over again. Who knows? But anyway, in the Russian story like that, all three women are named Baba Yaga, but they're sisters to each other. <laughs> and funny. and so like it's theorized that. The reason why sometimes the Baba Yaga is kind and helpful, and sometimes she's the evil witch in the woods who wants to eat children, is right. is because like Baba Yaga just ended up being like a name that got plugged into the story. Just anytime there was like there was any a, any any woman alone in the woods, right? That's funny. Um. So they're they're like various characters, really, like mul- like different characters. Yeah. But now they're all the same. Exactly. That they're like, oh, you know what? Let's just pop that name in there. Anything that any old woman that is encountered alone in the woods has ever done has now been done by Baba Yaga. Yeah. Oh, another thing that's like a side note that has nothing to do with this episode, like whatsoever, but I think is interesting because we've talked about this in the past. In a lot of European stories. Like dragons and the devil, kind of like as yeah. monsters, like are related to each other. But in Russian folklore, when a dragon shows up in a story, it's a a holdout from long form Russian epics. That okay. like the dragon was a character that was just in these like lep these epic battle like poems and mm-hmm. ballads and stuff. And, and so that, that dragon shows up in fairy tales uh, and in like the folklore, but is probably not at all related to the devil. What we would think. Yeah. And, and hasn't gotten switched out for the devil or like anything like that. Or Baba Yaga, which seems very plausible. <laughs> that could have happened apparently. Yeah. <laughs> um. So everywhere outside of Russia probably has Alexander Avanoskiev to thank for their knowledge about Baba Yaga and the stories about her. So thank you. <laughs> Just on behalf of all of us here at the Fairy Tellers. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> He's been dead for like 150 years. But hey, you know what? Shout out. 
Never too late. Credit where it's due. So people can kind of think of him as like the Russian Grim brother, uh, which is to say that he was a contemporary who was kind of doing in Russia what they had done in Germany with some like notable differences. So Alexander Avanoskev studied law at Moscow University and was interested in Russian history and culture. So even though what he studied was law, he ended up working inside of a, um, I believe, a university library. He was working like inside of a scholarly like academy, basically. Yeah. And in the Oxford Companion to Fairy Tales, it says from the 1850s, his attention shifted towards Slavic mythology and he started collecting and publishing Russian folklore. From 1855 to 1863, he he published his world famous collection, Russian Fairy Tales, in eight volumes. So a quick side note. So this was after the Grimm's brothers had been publishing their stuff for Mm -hmm. like over 40 years. But his eight volumes of Russian fairy tales contained 600 texts and their variants. Oh, my gosh. It was a lot of stuff. And notably, it was a purely scholarly publication. Oh, gosh. It, it was not it was not meant <laughs> for like a, a wide audience, uh-huh. um, which allowed him to kind of do what the Grimm's brothers couldn't. The Grimm's brothers had to monetize what they were doing, not just like to kind of like give credence, like what they're doing, but to like finance. Yeah. The the actual like publication. Yeah. The the, the labor that was like going into it. So also interesting side note, Alexander was doing work inside of a library, finding texts that had, already been recorded and written down. Mm -hmm. He probably only ever recorded 10 uh, texts, pieces of folklore. Yeah. All the others he collected from other. Exactly. People that Um, he was really selective about um, who, what he was collecting and who he was collecting it from, what regions he was collecting it from, because what he did not want to do was collect stories from the elite classes, the higher classes, which the Grimm's mm-hmm. brothers did do. Right. But he wanted more of, he wanted to know what the people were writing about. And so the 600 pieces of text and their variants that he collected, obviously some of the variants, like they were res- the same and related. And He was not against combining those outside of the scholarship. When it was inside of the scholarship, it was just being written down and noted the stories. He didn't combine them for publication Mm -hmm. until they were being published for other people. And he argued that some of the variation in the tales, like the tales could be combined and the the slight variation was just the variation from storyteller to storyteller that it didn't necessarily mean a whole lot regionally. Yeah. But when he published this big scholarly work, the variants were noted down and, and separate from each other because they were different texts, even if they were like the same story. Story. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so I feel like we haven't really encountered that in any of our 
fairy tale folklore collectors that we've talked about on the podcast. Yes, thus far. because so that's really because interesting. he was kind of late in the game, and he was yeah. doing it purely for the scholarship, not for like the yeah. publication. He had watched what other collectors had done, and he wanted to do it differently because he wanted to keep yeah. it like this is scholarship, this is entertainment. Like he wanted to have them separated. So those eight volumes were not marketed towards the public and their children. He did do that. He did market some stories to the public and to children. And that was a separate endeavor. He kept the two things like separate. And I'll talk more about his right. his publishing endeavors in a second. And also it says in the Oxford Companion to Fairy Tales, besides fairy tales, Avanaskev collected folk songs, proverbs, and parables. Um, so he he was very interested in like the cultural enterprise broadly, not just like the tales. Right. So after he had done a bulk of his collecting and publishing, he went to other countries' collections of tales to compare them with what he had collected from the like Russian archives. And he had been very careful with his collections not to change and combine them with similar tales at that point, which is why his scholarly work was like so long, so, so long, <laughs> like so massive. So he ended up getting a lot of pushback from Russian literary societies who didn't think that his work was important, which in the history of folklore scholarship is like, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> Like that's that's on par with like basically anytime someone was like, I'm going to devote my life to recording the stories of the masses of like the common folk and the people who are also in those colleges are like, what's wrong with you? Why are you collecting garbage? <laughs> um, I don't know if you've seen like the little Olaf shorts that are on like Disney Plus. I've seen a couple okay, of the them. one where he did like Ariel. There's this one line that like my kids and I keep quoting to each other, which is, "You're a garbage collector, just like your mother." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Ha! Now I got your larynx. Uh. They're very quotable. Um. Yeah. R.I.P. Our friend Meg, who hates uh, o- Olaf and anything related to yeah. it. If she watched those, I don't think she would. No, nah, she would hate them. Yeah. yeah. I don't recommend. Yeah. Right. She she just dislikes his whole vibe. Uh so anyway. So another quote from the Oxford Companion to Fairy Tales says, "He was criticized for his views, especially since the Russian literary establishment doubted that illiterate Russian peasants were capable of telling coherent stories." Many critics also questioned the artistic merits of Russian folk tales as compared to European. Still, the collection was widely appreciated by scholars in Russia and abroad. So <laughs> I Dang. I love that quote just because they're like really going hard on like the illiterate Russian peasants. It's funny, too, because it's like. They're being the way about it. Like they're like, oh, this is this doesn't compare to. Russian or like our Rus- these Russian fairy tales don't compare to those in you know more Western Europe or whatever. Which is like in those places in Western Europe when they were doing it, they were like, "Oh, these tales are garbage compared to the tales 
over here. Like, yeah. like nothing that is from your culture, especially like your, you're just like common people is allowed to be yeah. cool. I mean, like to these people. So like, this is pre-revolution. Uh-huh. And so, like, this is where, like, we're bumping up into, like, history and, like, the mm. sentiments of people. And I'm, like, reading this quote of just being, like, they doubted whether illiterate Russian peasants were capable of telling coherent stories. I'm, like, this is why y'all got overthrown. <laughs> like, like <laughs> when you treat people like that, well, especially, like, I also, as I was, like, doing research for this, I was remembering just, like, how relatively new it is historically that uh so many people are are literate that yeah. that we we live in a time of like very high literacy and that like it being commonplace for people to be literate is like it's a fairly new concept when we're looking at like you know the long string of like humanity and so yeah. The people who were illiterate, it was like, yeah, because like really the only people who knew how to read were um, religious leaders yeah. and uh, the aristocracy, if you got them. And a lot of yeah. the aristocracy, like they were marrying into and related to European royalty. Yeah. And so, of course, they would think like, oh, Russian folktales can't compare to European folktales. Like, why? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, European peasants are so much better than Russian peasants. That's like, that's such bizarre, like elitist thinking. But yeah, I was like reading this. And I'm like, you know, this is how people get overthrown. I'm just saying when they're like, oh, why are people so poor? And like, oh, maybe because of the way that you're leading your country. <laughs> I wrote in my notes, that is some academia gatekeeping nonsense right there. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it is. So anyway, he did also publish Russian fairy tales for children in 1870, which was a year before his death. He died when he was 45. Oh, man. So like... He was young. Yeah. And he got a lot done, like, in his lifetime that I, I'm, like, very impressed that in the 45 years that he was alive, he did a lot to, like, like further, like, folklore studies and, and uh, recording his culture's tales. Yeah. Um, so when he published his Russian fairy tales for children, he was very selective of which tales to include because he did not think that all fairy tales were appropriate for children. <gasps> oh my gosh. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only one. No, just kidding. Yeah. It's like, again, he was like looking at what like the Grimm's <laughs> brothers had done and been like, I don't know if I'd do it that way. So the language was edited in the stories for graphicness and content. He was picking stories that he specifically thought would be, well, you know, of the 600 that he had. Yeah. He specifically was narrowing it down to the ones that had like kind of the, the most relevance for children. Yeah. And so, yeah, he was very purposeful in his selection. And I, I deeply appreciate that in a person. But interestingly, in 1870, his book still got pushback 
and you will not guess what it was for. Science. No, but I like that. Is that's a very good guy. I was like, that's a very good guess, though. I didn't want to guess like like sex or violence or you know like those were the obvious yeah, yeah, answers. Yeah. It's like what what type of other things did they push back? No, on? I, yeah, I was like Science. that was a very good question because that like other folk tales did get put, have in the history gotten pushed back or been pushed forward because they're like so distinctly anti-science. Yeah. And so the science was actually like a really interesting choice. Um, but wrong. <laughs> but wrong. But uh, like that was a that was a good you're a good thinker, Jeff. Well, thanks. So it was for trickster characters and tales about triumph through cunning. Oh. So people did not think that it was suitable for children to be reading stories <laughs> about trickster <laughs> characters. Look, I get it. I'm a parent. <laughs> do I want my children being better at trying to trick and deceive me? No, I definitely do not. But also, come on, guys. Yeah, it's like really interesting because he like he made sure to like kind of edit the stories for like blasphemy that was like a big one that he mm-hmm. did not he was like these stories they're not going to be appropriate these are going to get pushed back there was even a collection that was done for adults that it contained so much blasphemy that it was not published in <laughs> russia it was published in france the godless <laughs> french are willing to publish this but not here in russia <laughs> um but anyway I, there is like there is legit scholarship on why books and stories get banned and censored or challenged, yeah. and it's very telling about a culture and a cultural mindset. And when I was reading about this, like I was definitely thinking about it because, like, right now in the United States, there has been like a significant like increase in the last couple months about the topic of banning children's books in libraries. Yeah. So. I'm just going to simply say, because this isn't the point of the podcast or this episode, (laughs) so I'm just going to simply say, paying attention to what books get challenged and what they get challenged for says a lot about what's going on in a culture. I'm just going to say that. I'm going to leave that right there. Interpret for yourself. (laughs) What I mean by that. But yeah, it's, it's very interesting and it's it also gets written about in scholarship when a book when books are being banned and what they're being banned for. Yeah. And so I just thought it was really interesting and like of note that <laughs> when he did a very careful selection of the stories for children, it still got kind of, you know got pushed back. Even got pushed back. It got pushed back. Look, this whole experience <laughs> just proves two things that we know to be just facts of human nature. Number one, no matter how careful you are to try not to offend people, someone will always be offended. And that banning books does nothing but make people want to read those books more. (laughs) So you are doing something that is so counterproductive. How about banning books that you want people to read? That's the only way you're going to get them to read them, guaranteed, is like ban them. Be like, no, ban. And everyone's like, you know what? Now I want to read this book. (laughs) Like, you can't stop me. But, you know, we just repeat the same cycle for hundreds and hundreds of years over and over and over. Yeah. People are the same. Always. Yeah. Always dumb. Like me. <laughs> I'm dumb. Always dumb. I, that went a weird way. It did. So the story that I have selected to retell today yeah. is 
what's interesting is to me, I'm like, this is the one about that has the most blasphemy and tricksterishness <laughs> that I could find. Sorry. Uh, no, this one actually um, has like a little bit. This story is a one that's kind of like a pagan against God, but not it's not very explicit, but mm. it is more of like, interesting. Yeah. But what I was going to say was that uh, this story to me is the one that it, it gets retold when people are telling the one about Baba Yaga. This is the one that's kind of the the most retold one. But when I say that to most people, they're like, I've never heard of this story. <laughs> <laughs> so to me, I'm like, this is up there with like, like Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, when I mention it, people are like, I've never heard of this ever in my life. What was interesting was when I was watching the episode of The Witcher, this was the story that I felt like they had drawn the most from. So now you all are going to know about it. Yeah. Because you're listening um, to our podcast. But again, they, they changed it enough that it, this is like, no, this is no spoilers, but also spoilers. <laughs> Just in case somebody is like, I, I don't know. I don't know yet what I'm about to say. <laughs> Maybe I'll accidentally tell the whole entire plot to The Witcher season two. <laughs> Oops, it just happened. So this story is called Vasilisa the Beautiful or Vasilisa the Fair. Or when people want to make it a little more clear that Baba Yaga is in the story and you definitely want to read it, it's Baba Yaga and Vasilisa the Beautiful. One thing that we have not talked about on the podcast yet because we haven't talked about Snow White is that in not that many languages the words beautiful and fair are interchangeable. Mm. And the word fair means different things. Right. And so it's it's just like interesting to note that like sometimes this story is Vasilisa the beautiful and sometimes it's Vasilisa the fair because the word fair can either mean like beautiful or just. But gotcha. more often than not in fairy tales, it's purely used to mean beautiful. It has nothing to do with this episode. I was just like, oh, interesting. Anyway. Well, I mean, it does because that's the title, the two titles of the story. This story is also kind of like tangentially uh, tail typed with uh, Cinderella. I know the title of this episode. Baba Yaga and the Russian Cinderella. <laughs> What's funny is because it's like, because it's a persecuted heroine, it kind of falls into the same realm as like Cinderella, but it like it, to me I'm like, ah yeah. it's a stretch. Yeah. I gotcha. Dude, what's really crazy is there is a story with Baba Yaga in it that is almost exactly like Nick's Not Nothing. Wow. Which is yeah. a child unwittingly promised story. So this story, that story also with Baba Yaga is like a child unwittingly promised. And then there are several stories that include Baba Yaga that are the unkind girl, kind girl mm. tale type. So, yeah, what I said about like those European yeah. stories and then it's just like plug in Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga where necessary is like, yeah. Anyway, in a certain kingdom, there lived a merchant and this merchant had a beautiful and sweet, <laughs> kindly wife. What? Oh, I thought you were going to say beautiful and sweet, kind daughter. Oh, no. First, I was going to mention his, like, wonderful wife. And it says that even though they had been married to each other for 12 years, they had only been able to have one daughter. 
Vasilisa the Beautiful. And she was just an incredibly lovely, sweet girl who was good to her mother, very obedient, uh, listened to her father and adored him. And they lived very happily together until when Vasilisa was eight years old, her mom became very, very ill. So the mother called Vasilisa over to her deathbed and she told her how much she loved her and cared about her. And then she pulled out a little doll and she said, I need you to remember and heed my last words. And then she died. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I I was like, oh, I want to make sure I get this right. So I like pause to like look over and then you're like, I know how to fill this. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I am giving you this doll to always keep with you and never show it to anybody else. Oh, dang. (laughs) Family secrets. But if you ever get into trouble, if you feed this doll some food. It poops. <laughs> I hate those pooping dolls. Yeah. Why? I think, why? Why? It's so nasty. If you ever get into trouble, just give this doll some food and then ask for its advice. After it's eaten, it will tell you exactly what you have to do to get out of your trouble. And then the mother kissed her daughter Vasilisa and she died. Again? <laughs> womp womp. I know I give my best advice when I have a full tummy. I know. And this doll apparently is the exact same way. So the story goes on to say that the merchant mourned his wife for an appropriate amount of time. (laughs) Three days. (laughs) He liked her a lot. What I think was interesting is it says they were married for 12 years. And when the girl was eight years old, um, her mom was like about to die. Yeah. So we knew that they tried to have a, child for like four years yeah and then after they had her for eight years they didn't have like any more kids which mm-hmm. i'm like yeah man and it also makes me wonder if like what what killed her was maybe getting pregnant again and mm-hmm. people die from childbirth it could have been anything i just read a lot into women dying in these stories because childbirth was like just a real common way to lose your wife just misplace them Anyway, back to the story. We got to stay focused. Jeff. I didn't even do it that time. So when the merchant was looking for another wife to marry, what he was looking for, and it says this specifically in the story, what he was looking for was an older woman who like already had children and... Like he wanted somebody who would help him raise his daughter. He yeah. wasn't interested. He wasn't really interested in marrying somebody like young and starting to have like kids again. Like he basically was like, I just need a woman who is like old enough and mature enough to like, you know, take care of my, uh, help me raise my eight year old daughter. Mm-hmm. And so there was a woman like that who lived in the village who had two children who were older than Vasilisa. And he was like, perfect. This is, you know, obviously this woman has been a good mother to her daughters. He thought. Oh, no. Yeah, it's a good stepmother. 
Yep. They're coming in. She seemed like she was going to be like a really good fit for what he was looking for at that stage of his life, which I love. I actually, I really enjoy that in this story, like this guy was looking for like a very specific thing. I resonate with that. Just, I see people who will like marry kind of like a mismatch and like what they, the time of life that they're in. And then like the person that they marry. Does that make sense, Jeff? Yeah. I just like, you know, like I wouldn't have any time in my life for like a 27 year old. Yeah, I'm I've I've got stuff that I'm doing. I'm too old to take care of a 27 year old. I'm not that much older than no, I was just saying that it's like, oh, it's like five years. Yeah. I mean, it's the distance between what's funny is, yeah, it's like the distance between my husband and my age, but he's older than me. Like he's a grown man who like, he's like very like mature level headed, whatever. Like I don't have time in my life right now for like a 27 year old. Who's like, like, Hey bro, let's live in a van. Like, no. And invest in crypto. And invest in crypto. I'm like, uh, uh, no, I, uh, am busy. (laughs) I don't have time for that. <laughs> when my husband was 27, he definitely was not like, let's live in a van and invest in crypto. You you wish that he wanted to invest in crypto when he was 27. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. That would be amazing. Y'all wouldn't be living in a van now, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Anyway, so the merchant got married to this woman in the town, and at first they seemed to be living fairly well together. And even though Vasilisa's new stepmother did not like her to eat because she was <laughs> too good looking, that she wanted her to be like lean and shriveled mm. so that her daughters by comparison would look like yeah. like plump and beautiful. Yeah. Interesting insight into the beauty standards of the time, as yeah. always. Yeah. That it's like, oh, if you look like a starving peasant. Not as lovely as what it says, uh, more buxom women. Mm. I'm just saying, Jeff. <laughs> Sometimes if you want to get a little bigger up here, you got to get a little bigger. <laughs> <laughs> but Vasilisa did not complain about having to eat less food. She didn't want to upset her father because she knew that he had already lost his wife. So... She bore her struggle with dignity, but she would always make sure to save the little bit of food that she did get. She would always save some for her doll because her doll would always help her with the chores that her new stepmom and stepsisters kept like dumping on her. So thanks to this doll helping her out, her life wasn't nearly as bad as it could be. And so she kept her very, like, positive, happy outlook on life, which was very frustrating for her stepmother, who was, like, doing everything in her power to, like, torment this girl. So it says that several years went by like this. And finally, Vasilisa had reached marriage age. And she was so beautiful that constantly men in the village were, like, wanting to marry her, were, like, coming over to the house, interested in her. But the stepmother, was just more and more like angry that her daughters were being overlooked. Mm -hmm. And so she kind of pulled a uh, taming of the shrew situation. (laughs) 
and was like, I will not give this youngest daughter in marriage until the older daughters have been married. But unlike in Taming of the Shroom, there was nobody who even wanted to go there with those girls. Uh (laughs) Even a man who, you know, would traumatize them into behaving. And so each time a suitor got turned away, the stepmother would always vent her anger on Vasilisa by like beating her. And a lot of this was going on and happening while the merchant was away doing merchant business Mm. uh, in other lands. He was going in like to acquire like goods from other places so that he could sell them as a merchant. That's how merchants work. (laughs) So he was gone for long periods of time and Vasilisa was left with her stepmother. So on a particularly long voyage while he was away, the stepmother moved to another house that was near this thick forest. And it was said that somewhere in this thick, dark forest, there was a hut. And inside that hut lived the Baba Yaga. Uh And she was said to never allow anybody to come close to her house. And she would hunt through the woods on her mortar and pestle and be looking for anybody, especially children, who had lost their way in the woods so that she could snatch them up and bring them home and eat them. It says that she ate human beings as if they were chickens. (laughs) (laughs) And used their legs for feet of her house. Yeah. Ew, that'd be creepy. Just a bunch of human legs. I feel oh. like that's worse. I feel like that's worse. Much worse. Like like a... <laughs> never mind. Were you going to say a centipede? Yeah, it's like, like a centipede. A human centipede of legs <laughs> on your head. <laughs> that would be worse. So the merchant's wife had purposefully moved to this new house that was close to the woods so that she could send Vasilisa out on these long errands in the woods hoping that Baba Yaga would find her and snatch her up and take her. But Vasilisa (laughs) would feed her doll, tell the doll what she needed, and the doll was able to keep her far away from Baba Yaga and Baba Yaga's hut. Because this was a very helpful doll that gave good advice. Um, So she would like feed it before she went into the woods and then come back perfectly okay. So then the story says that autumn came. And as we know, anytime we're getting closer to the dark half of the year, that's when more spirits are about. So autumn came. And so the stepmother, knowing that they needed to kind of finish up their spinning work that they needed to get done for winter, which, again, really interesting to note that Baba Yaga is related to a lot of these like Frau Holly and uh, Perchta where you need to get your spinning done or else they're coming to get you. And so now you have these three characters, the two stepsisters and Vasilisa, who every night are being told by their stepmother that they need to get all of their work done. So the eldest one was at work making lace which I very recently on TikTok have been watching uh, different people like making lace. Yeah. And it is so complicated. I can't it's a even bunch imagine. Of, like, 
It's like a bunch of pins laid out on a design on like a pin cushion and you have a bunch of spools of very like fine, thin uh, thread. Yeah. And it's like this really intricate like braiding that you're doing with these spools and then you're pi- pulling out like the pins that are at the top and then putting them down into a new row oh as gosh. you're going. That's insane. It's like, it's a really intense, making lace is a really intense process. Um, so the eldest one was making lace. The second was knitting stockings. And Vasilisa had to sit and spin. And every night, the stepmother would put out all of the lights in the house, but leave one candle in the room where the girls were working. And she would go to bed because she was awful. Night. And the girls would work all night. And then when the candle began to get low, the daughters would, you know, blow it out and go to bed. So one night, the stepmother told her daughters, hey, what we should do is we're going to make it so that there's no light in the house and they're not, you guys aren't going to be able to finish your task. And we're going to tell Vasilisa, oh, we don't have any more light, but you need to go to Baba Yaga's house and get us light for our house so that we can finish uh, doing like all of our spinning and stuff. And so the daughters were like, all right, that sounds like a deal. So the next night, while the eldest was doing the lace and the youngest was knitting stockings and Vasilisa was working on spinning, the oldest sister, when the light was getting low, went over to try to, like, pretending like she was like, oh, making sure that, you know, she fixed it. But instead, she blew out the light. Mm. And then she was like, oh, no, we don't have any more light in our house um somebody someone needs to go to baba yaga's house and get us some light and they were like oh well who's gonna do that and the oldest one said well the pins on my lace are giving me light which that's not no that's 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 not how light works that's not how light works that's like totally made up so she's like so i don't need to go because like i have light The second sister said, oh, well, my knitting needles are giving me light, so I don't need to go to finish my task. And Vasilisa is like, I can't see a thing. (laughs) And they were like, oh, that sounds like a you problem. And so they were like, then you have to go to Baba Yaga's house. So quickly, Vasilisa, you know, grabbed her doll and fed the doll so that when she left, the doll would help her to uh, find Baba Yaga's hut because she was walking through the dark. And when they went outside, the doll's eyes lit up and like illuminated so that uh. she could. Yeah, which I'm like, that sounds creepy AF. Um, so creepy. Uh, but it was helping to light her way through the woods. So all night long, Vasilisa walked by the light of her doll's shining eyes. And the doll kept telling Vasilisa, you don't have to worry because as long as you have me with you, you will come to no harm from Baba Yaga. So even with the doll's comfort, she was still walking in fear and trembling. And suddenly a horse galloped out in front of her and the rider's face was white he was dressed all in white his horse was white everything on the horse was white and he rode right past vasilisa and after he had passed it was dawn the forest started to lighten up and the doll's eyes like went out and 
So Vasilisa kept walking and going, and pretty soon another horseman leapt out of nowhere and rode past her, and he was all red. He was red, his horse was red, everything on his horse was red, and after he had ridden past, the sun came up. And so now it was daytime. And so Vasilisa kept walking and walking and walking throughout the entire day. And as the sun was getting like lower in the sky, out popped a third horseman, this time all in black. He was black. His horse was black. Everything was black. And then the light of day went out and it was dark. But it was not dark in the forest for long because as Vasilisa looked through the trees in the wood, she saw light and she started moving towards it. And as she got closer, she saw that it was skulls oh. that were on sticks all around the fence line of a house and emanating from these uh, skulls from their eyes was light oh, shining gosh. out of them. And... She did not immediately turn and run the other way. <laughs> no. No, because she immediately heard crunching noises and a hop and a rustle and like this crazy noise. And when she turned around and looked into the woods, there was Baba Yaga coming towards the hut as her mortar hopped. <laughs> Baba Yaga was sweeping away the traces of her from behind her so that Nobody could, you know, follow Baba Yaga. Uh. And so there was Baba Yaga standing right in front of her. And she said, fie, fie, I smell a Russian smell. <laughs> <laughs> Who is there? It just reminded me immediately of like, uh, like fee, fi, fo, fum. Uh. I smell the blood of like an English book. Yeah. Except like it comes off really rude to be like, I smell a Russian smell. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's catty. <laughs> That's, uh. that's pretty rude and so Baba Yaga like looks around and she sees standing in front of her Vasilisa who is trembling with fear and Vasilisa quickly like bowed to uh, Baba Yaga and said it is I grandmother just trying to be very like yeah, very yeah. cordial to her my stepsisters sent me to get some light and Baba Yaga was like, oh, yes, I know them. <laughs> Which I'm like, yeah, I bet you do, because they're awful. In some translations and versions of this story, uh, the stepmother is actually the sister to Baba Yaga. And so she's, uh, the mother is sending Vasilisa to her own her step-aunt, basically. Right. Yeah. So she was like, I will definitely give you a light to take back, but you have to live with me for a while and work for me. And if you don't agree, I'll eat you. And so, of course, Vasilisa agreed to this because like when the <laughs> you choice drive is a hard bargain, <laughs> work for me or I'll eat you like, oh, OK, I'm going to choose work for you. So they went into this house that it was noted stood on chicken legs and so they climbed up into the hut and it says that Baba Yaga stretched herself out in her chair and in other stories Baba Yaga is always described as like having both of her feet like touching either corner of the Ugh. house so either Baba Yaga has freaky long legs <laughs> or the hut is very small inside yeah uh, but she is called like the bony legged one and so there mm -hmm. is that like 
creepy. Um, it 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 gives a kind of image of like a person inside of a coffin, like a small wooden right, uh, yeah, wooden, wooden box. box. Um, that your legs can stretch, you know, all the way. At yeah, and Babiaga is kind of this like liminal character that you know is neither dead or alive she's an undead other person yeah but anyway so she stretches out her legs and she says to vasilisa serve me what is on the stove i'm hungry and so vasilisa quickly like lit a torch from the skulls on the fence she was like "Mm, grab one of the skulls (laughs) and she started to serve Baba Yaga, the food that was on the stove, and it says it was enough food for 10 people. Like, she just kept going and going, giving her, like, everything that there was. And then Baba Yaga was drinking mead, beer, and wine all from the cellar. And, you know, uh, Vasilisa was just trying to serve her and serve her, like, keep her hungry. And finally, at long last, Baba Yaga was done eating and was headed off to bed. And she told Vasilisa that she could have uh, what was left of the food, which was a little bit of cabbage soup, a crust of bread, and a tiny piece of pork. (laughs) And right before Baba Yaga went to bed, she said, tomorrow, after I leave, see to it that you sweep the yard, clean the hut, cook the dinner, wash linens, and go to the corn bin and sort out a bushel of wheat before I get back at the end of the day. Um, And if everything doesn't get done, no worries, I will eat you. (laughs) It's like, oh, good, good. Sounds like a deal. So after she gave those orders, Baba Yaga immediately went to bed and started to snore loudly. Because, of course, she did. So Vasilisa um, took some of what remained of the supper and fed it to her doll. And, you know, she's feeding her doll and just crying. And her doll, after eating, was like, what's wrong? Like, what are you upset about? And Vasilisa told her, Baba Yaga just gave me a long list of tasks to do. And some of them... Some of them I can do, but like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to sort out a bushel of wheat and like go through the cornbread. I don't know if I can eat all this. And the doll told her, Vasilisa, don't worry about it. Just eat what's left of your supper. Say your prayers. That's very important Mm. to what we're talking about later. Say your prayers and then go to sleep. The morning is wiser than the evening. And that's a little phrase that gets repeated often in um, Russian stories. So I. Yeah. And should be repeated often in frat houses across the United States. But (laughs) call it call it dormant. What's a better frat houses is not maybe the best. I'm just imagining all these like frat boys like at night, the sun's going down and like we should go to bed. Remember, brothers, the morning is wiser than the evening. They just need to repeat it in their own minds. And they just all go to bed together. At the same time, and they don't get up to any midnight shenanigans. What a peaceful image. So early the next morning, Vasilisa wakes up even before the sun has risen. But after Baba Yaga has already gotten up and Vasilisa looked out the window and she could see that the eyes of the skulls were starting to go out. And then the white horseman rode past the house and then up came the dawn. And Baba Yaga got into her mortar and took off into the woods, disappearing. Vasilisa then watched a couple minutes later as the red horseman flashed by and the sun rose up 
she decided that it was time now that she was alone to get to work on all of those chores. But as she was looking around, she realized that everything had already been done. And there was her little doll sitting and waiting to be fed breakfast. She feeds her doll and tells her how thankful she is for all the work that the doll has done. And the doll tells her, yep, all you have to do today, the only thing that's left undone is just to prepare dinner for the Baba Yaga, which, as we just said, is like enough to feed like 10 people. So it's enough work. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and Vasilisa puts the doll into her pocket and says, like, yeah, thank you so much. You've totally saved me. I can definitely handle like all this work. So when evening came... Vasilisa was setting the table and just waiting for Baba Yaga. And she saw as the black horseman then rode past the house and then night came. And pretty soon after the skull's eyes started shining, she could hear the trees crackling, the leaves rustling, and then came out from the woods, Baba Yaga back to the house. And when Baba Yaga got there, she saw Vasilisa and she was like, all right, did you get everything done? And Vasilisa was like, yes, see for yourself. I got everything done. And Babiaga looked around and she saw even the bushel of wheat that had been sorted out by the doll, unbeknownst to her. And Babiaga was like, oh, great job. Excellent work. And she kind of cries out, my faithful servants, my dear friends, grind my wheat. And out of nowhere, three pairs of hands came out and grabbed the bushels of wheat and carried them away to go grind them. (laughs) Oh, man. Like, just disembodied hands. Yeah, totally. I was like, this is, like, thing. Cousin, it's the hair guy. Cousin, it's yeah, the hair guy. Just like, like, thing style. style. Just like, I was like, oh my gosh, Adam's family. That's like... And then it immediately made me wonder, is that where Adam's family got, like, that idea Mm. for a thing? But anyway. Yeah, probably. So Baba Yaga sat herself down in the house, ate her fill of food, and then told Vasilisa, you did excellent work today. Tomorrow I expect you to do the exact same as you did today. But in addition, I need you to take the poppy seeds that are from the bin and get rid of the dust grain by grain. Somebody threw dust into the bins out of spite, and now they're like a hot mess. And I'm like, who? Who threw dust in there out of spite? <laughs> was it like some random kid went past your house and was like, ha that'll teach her? I don't think so. The last person you had kidnapped <laughs> and made do your chores until... <laughs> You threatened to eat them and probably inevitably did because they threw dust in your poppy seeds just out of spite. Um, And poppy seeds are these tiny little black seeds. And so like this is, again, one of those like tasks that is kind of reminiscent of like other fairy tales like in Cinderella that we've seen where it's like, oh, take these seeds and now you have to like clean them or sort them out in some way. And you need a magical helper to like uh, help you. Yeah, because it's like literally impossible unless you do it. With yeah. Someone. So once again, uh, you know, Vasilisa, when uh, Babiaga went to sleep, she fed her doll and told the doll all the stuff that was expected to do. And the doll told her, hey, don't worry about it. Like, I've got this. I'll handle it. You get a good night's sleep. And so the same exact thing happened. Vasilisa went to bed. The next morning before the sun came up, she woke up and looked out the window and there was Baba Yaga getting ready for her day and the white horseman rode past and then it was dawn. Baba Yaga took off. 
Then Red Horseman came by, the sun came up, and Vasilisa looked around to see what work she needed to get done, but it had all already been taken care of. She just needed to fix dinner for that night. And so she fed her doll and thanked her doll and put her back away into her pocket. And then once again, as night crept closer, once again, the black horseman rode by the house and the lights and the skulls started to shine brightly. And Baba Yaga came out, mortar, pestle, and broom, making that loud noise as she like went through the woods. The noise that they describe, I can't imagine her being able to like sneak up on anybody to like grab them yeah. and eat them. She needs to be quiet. Maybe she doesn't need to. Yeah. Maybe because she's so fast. Or maybe they get frozen out of terror. I don't know. How does a Baba Yaga hunt? A question for the ages. So when Baba Yaga came out of the woods, she looked around and asked Vasilisa if she had been able to finish her chores or if she was getting eaten. And Vasilisa was like, oh, no, I was able to get done with all the chores. And Baba Yaga was like, wow, I'm really impressed. That's really amazing. My friends, my servants come and out popped those three disembodied hands and they grabbed the basket of poppy seeds that were nice and clean and took them to go and uh, grind them for oil is what it says they were going to do with those so Baba Yaga went into the house sat down for dinner and uh, Vasilisa started to feed Baba Yaga so as Vasilisa was serving Baba Yaga her dinner Baba Yaga asked her, like, why do you not speak to me? Why are you so quiet? Which I'm like, because she's terrified of you. What in the world? She's like, you're not very, you're not very great for conversation, are you? (laughs) And so Vasilisa told her, like, I didn't dare to speak. But if you're okay with me talking, like, I'll talk to you. I have, like, no problem having conversation with you. And Baba Yaga was like, yeah, I would love it if you would talk to me. And which I'm like, seems oddly kind. And so Vasilisa was like, well, I have a question I want to ask you if that's like, okay, if it's not impertinent. And Baba Yaga was like, oh, no, ask away. What do you want to know about? But she did say, but make sure that you don't ask too many questions because when you know too much, you grow old sooner, (laughs) which I'm like, oh, that feels true. Doesn't it like in a deeply spiritual sense that it's like the more that I know Mm. that's just like older and more world weary I tired get, yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely so vasilisa was like i have seen three times since i left home this white writer who is he bobby Yaga was like oh yeah he is a friend of mine he is my bright day he is the dawn and vasilisa was like oh okay and the red writer and bobby Yaga was like oh yeah he is a good friend of mine he is my red son he brings the day. Vasilisa was like, all right, good to know. And who is the black writer? Baba Yaga says, oh, him? That is my faithful servant. He is the dark knight. He brings the night. Batman. He is Batman. <laughs> the dark the knight. The dark knight. <laughs> I am Batman. <laughs> All, all three of them are faithful servants who work for me. And Vasilisa was like, all right, that's really interesting. And Babiaga was like, do you have any more questions? And Vasilisa thought to ask, 
about the, the disembodied hands. But then she decided that she agreed with the Baba Yaga that knowing too much would make her grow old too soon. <laughs> the smartest thing she's done all yeah. story. Um, and so Vasilisa just said, oh, no, that was enough. That's that's all I really wanted to know. And the Baba Yaga was like, all right, that's great. I have a question that I've been wanting to ask you. And Vasilisa was like, oh, OK, I'll I'll tell you anything you want. And the Baba Yaga leans closer and she's like, how have you been able to get done all the chores that I have given you? And Vasilisa, remembering what her mother had said about never showing anybody the doll, never telling anybody about the doll, she remembered that. And so what she said to Baba Yaga was, I have been helped by the blessings of my mother's love. And immediately... Mm. Baba Yaga went, oh, what? <laughs> Not in my house, you won't. That's disgusting. And Vasilisa <laughs> was like, wait, what? And Baba Yaga was like, no, I cannot have somebody's blessed daughter inside of my house. Get out of my house. And she dragged Vasilisa out of the house and pushed her outside of the gate. And she quickly grabbed one of the skulls with the burning eyes from the fence. And she, it says she stuck the skull on a spare stick and then handed it <laughs> to Vasilisa and was like, here's the light to give to your stepsisters. Get away from my house. Which I'm like, that's perfect. That's hilarious. But immediately Baba Yaga's like, ah, no, oh, 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 get out, get out. That's nasty. Can't have any of that. In here, not in my house. Um, it's interesting because it's a very like Voldemort Harry Potter reaction where like a mother's dying love mm, gives yeah. her like a secret power. Right. Um, so it's just something that I was like, huh, I wonder, but it's neither here nor there. So anyway, Vasilisa quickly, not needing to be told twice, <laughs> got to get in and just started going and as she was walking away from Baba Yaga's hut, she got so far away from her hut that she didn't see the riders. But she did see when dawn came and when the sun rose up and she walked all day long through the woods. And by this time, the skull's lights had gone out and she didn't reach her home until the sun had then already set again and the skull eyeballs lit up as she walked back to the house. And when she got close to the house, she thought about ditching the skull lamp because she wasn't particularly fond of it. But this- But then she remembered the whole purpose of why she left in the first no, place. No, creepily enough, the skull started talking to her. Oh my yeah. gosh. And it was like, do not throw me away. Take me to your stepmother. And <laughs> she looked up at the stepmother's house and saw that even though it was nighttime, there was no light inside of the house. And so she entered into the house holding the skull on a stick. And when the sisters saw her come in for the first time ever in her life with these ladies, they were happy <laughs> to see her because oh. since she had left, they had not been able to light any lights inside their house. Anytime they would try to light something, it would go out. They'd even had neighbors come over to try to light stuff. Nothing would stay lit in the house because they're bad people and bad things happen to mm. bad people. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I got for this. And so they were so happy when she came in with this light. 
And so they welcomed her inside. But as she came in with this light, when the light of the skull touched their skin, it started to burn them. (gasps) And no matter what they did, they couldn't get away from the light of this skull lamp. And it stayed lit until the mother and the stepsisters were all cooked up. Oh, my gosh. Burnt to ashes. By this, what a turn! Yeah, by this creepy skull light. I don't know whether Baba Yaga purposely gave her a skull light that would do that, or whether the skull yeah. itself was like, "Oh, I'm full of vengeance," like just like on its <laughs> own was just like a spiteful bee and was like, "Now's my time." Um. Anyway, so now that Vasilisa was by herself in the morning, she went outside, dug a hole, and buried the skull in the ground, locked the door to the house and went into town. And there was a woman, a childless old woman who remembered Vasilisa, who brought her into the house and let her live there. And she was like, oh, old woman, you're so kind to let me live here. Let me help you out by doing all of your spinning. And the woman was like, oh, you don't have to do that. But if you insist, I'll let you. And so she bought her some fine flax to spin into this fine linen and she was able to spin at lightning speed and her threads were more even and thin than hair once she was done spinning all that she started weaving into this perfect cloth and it said that the cloth was so fine that she could pull the cloth through the eye of a needle oh my so if anybody knows anything about i think it's people who like crochet it's either crochet or knit one of those there is like this thing where if you can pull an entire thing that you weaved like through or uh like crocheted or knit or whatever if you're in that world and you know what i'm talking about please like (laughs) write in and correct me um but if you can pull it through your wedding ring it's like like mm-hmm. total bragging rights of like how fine you're able to do this. So wow. when it said like, oh, this cloth that she like had weaved was so fine that she could pull it through the eye of a needle. <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah, it's like, woo. And, it, you know, it begs, begs the imagination. Anyway, Vasilisa gave this cloth to the old woman and she said to her, hey, you know, sell this in town for whatever you can get for it. And you can keep that as payment for, you know, helping me out. And the old lady was like, oh, no, I'm not selling this in town. This is like the nicest fabric ever in like the world. And so she went to the king, the czar. And when she went to the czar, she was like, look at this fabric. There's no other fabric as wonderful as this. And so he bought it from her because he was like, you're right. I've never seen such fabric. Everybody else was like, wow, that's an amazing like piece of fabric. But then everybody who could sew didn't want to sew it because it was so beautiful. And they were like, we want to sew it into shirts, but it, it's too nice. The person who made this needs to be the one that sews it. And so the czar hunted down the old lady and was like, oh, would you be able to sew this into shirts? And she was like, oh, I didn't make this. The woman who weaved this lives at my house, though, and she can turn it into shirts. And he was like, oh, that's amazing. And so Vasilisa was said to the old woman, oh, yes, I knew that this was going to happen, which it was like, oh, Vasilisa's got a plan. Probably a plan that she's being told by the doll to like do. And so she sews six shirts out of this big fabric that she had weaved and 
sent those to the czar. And when the czar put on the shirts, he was like, oh my goodness, these are so luxurious. Like this is so nice. I need to see the woman who made these shirts. And so he went out to where Vasilisa was. And when he saw how beautiful and wonderful she was, he immediately decided that he had to marry her. Of course. Of course. And it says he took Vasilisa by her white hands, which I was like, what a weird, <laughs> what a thing, weird to thing to say. Um, so he took Vasilisa, seated her by his side, and the wedding was celebrated at once. And after a while, her father came back from the work that he had been doing, and he went to look for his wife in the house that he had left her in. And they were like, oh, no, listen, you missed like a whole thing. <laughs> it was a whole thing. But he was able to find his daughter living in the palace with the czar. Vasilisa had her father come live with her. And even the old woman who had helped her out came and moved in with them, too. It doesn't say this, but in my mind, the old man and the old woman got married and they were very nice and happy with each other. Hmm. And Vasilisa carried her doll from her mother in her pocket till the end of her life. The end. Aww. So I think, like, obviously there are parts of this story that are very much Cinderella-esque. Like, it's, yeah. it's definitely there. It's just very much changed in uh, the flow of action. Like, who is demanding the task from her? Obviously, there's no ball slipper but we've talked about in the past yeah. that like the shoe situation isn't as important as like the persecuted heroine part and like the tasks right. that they have to do the donor characters are the, the magical, magical helper, helper. Yeah. which and we've talked about this in other episodes about cinderella too that the mother is the magical helper usually through a magical object whether that ad magical yeah. object is like a talking fish, a goat, or a tree, a tree. Yes. And in this one, it's this doll that she'd been given to her by her mother. But as I talked about right at the beginning, uh, before we started the story, there's this idea in the story of the pagan versus like the new kind of Christianity. And yeah, there are characters in Russian folklore that there are just theories about uh, where these characters came from. And like the prevailing yeah. theory is that the characters such as Baba Yaga are old pagan characters. Mm -hmm. The same with like, there are several others. There's um, like a dragon, the cache, the deathless is another one that's like, where did this come from? And it's like, maybe it was an old pagan um, character. Uh, and then this story, this is one of the only stories that has those three uh, horsemen being talked about. And those are another one that's like, oh, those yeah. sound like pagan characters. Like they're related to an old mythology. Yeah. But like what brings the day, what brings the night, yeah. what brings the dawn. And in this story, the only thing that was able to kind of like beat the Baba Yaga was the fact that this girl had a blessing from her mother, you know, that she was saying her prayers before she went to bed. And so the Baba Yaga was like, I can't have somebody who's blessed, who's part of this like Christianity, like in my house, like get 
out. <laughs> I cannot even stand <laughs> to like have you in here. Uh, so yeah, it's just this really interesting story to set up these, um, like the, that idea of like that old paganism versus the new Christianity. It's a little more clear than some of like yeah. the other stories. And again, like, I mean, I like the theory that Babiaga is part of like an old pagan tradition because she very much is related to characters that we talked about. That's um, Frau Holly, Perchta, and those were old pagan characters in Europe. Yeah. And that's where you kind of have that blending together of like elements. So when Sarah messaged me and asked me, you know, for information about Baba Yaga or like what I could recommend, like a, a book wise, um, I told her that I did not own this book yet. Um, but there was a Russian fairy tales collection that was put out by Pantheon. And what I love about the story collections that are put out by Pantheon is also they usually have a section in them that has essays, like quotes, just different things about um, to help contextualize where the stories that are in the collection come from or what to think about as like you're reading them. And then when I went to the bookstore to get the latest Maria Tatar book, Heroine with a Thousand Faces, I also saw that they had a copy of Russian Fairy Tales, the Pantheon collection. And I was like, oh, I'm going to grab that as well, because I just told somebody that even though I didn't own it, they should get it. And I was like, maybe I should get it, too. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of I have a lot of the other Pantheon uh, books. I just hadn't gotten that one yet. And so I was like, you know what? For our Baba Yaga episode, I will grab it. And in the back, in those like the section that's like essays on contextualizing what you're about to read in this one part. Uh -huh. um, it says oversimplified romantic interpretations of supernatural beings in the folktale as relics of prehistoric myths about the forces of nature are rejected by later critics. But the question of the genesis of the Russian magic world and its original peculiar traits still awaits further delving and resolution. And this uh, this essay, just for context, was written and published in like the 1940s, um, just so that okay. we know like when when in time it was. It says among these demonic names, <laughs> there are both common Slavic remainders and old Turkic borrowings. Thus, for instance, Baba Yaga, together with the Polish Jedzababa, and such a Czech equivalent as Jezinka, as well as the old church Slavic Jedska, and an old Serbian Jezza, illness or nightmare, originate in the primitive Slavic form Inga, related, for instance, to the old English Inka, grudge or quarrel. Anyway, that was a whole lot of probably mispronunciations on my part <laughs> all to say that like this character of Baba Yaga, they are not quite sure, you know, whether she is a changing of like the, the European pagan or whether she comes from like the Turkic beliefs of like, you know, these like old witches. So it's not quite clear, like where exactly she comes from. It's not like a, just like a, a clear line straight to the yeah. Baba Yaga. And so she 
is still this kind of other, even like among like witches and when people are talking about witches. So I just wanted to go back to kind of like the witcher, because I know that's kind of what some people were interested in knowing, whereas uh, like our thoughts on Baba Yaga being in the witcher. And one of the things that I thought was amazing and here I'm like, oop, I'll kind of spoiler alerts, but not really. One of the ways that they really like made it their own was this. Uh, there are three characters in The Witcher who have dreams involving this like a mysterious person that they can't really see. But the dreams have meanings and the colors that that character in the different dreams. One woman dreams of a lady in white. One dreams of a lady in red and one dreams of a lady in black. And I thought that was really interesting hmm. because yeah. you have these horsemen that are related to these colors. And so even though the horsemen in that capacity, you know, they're not in The Witcher. You yeah. have this old idea of. Baba Yaga having these faithful servants who are horsemen in these three colors. And then her and the witcher is kind of related to some horsemen, but they don't have a like a specific color, but she has these three aspects in the witcher. And what's also interesting is that the witch in the wood in the European tradition, we've talked about this in the Frau Holly episode is that Frau Holly has like three aspects, and this is true for a lot of European witches, that they are seen either as a maiden, a mother, uh -huh. or a crone. So they uh -huh. have like those... Uh -huh. <laughs> they have those, those three different aspects about them. And what was interesting yeah. is that in The Witcher, Baba Yaga presents herself in those three different age categories to the different people and also the different, the three different like colors. Mm. And so even though I don't have any stories of Baba Yaga ever appearing as, you know, a maiden or a mother, she's usually a crone, like right. an undead crone lady. <laughs> um, in The uh -huh. Witcher, they kind of took that there. That's cool. And also another thing that I could see that they that the writers really did their research on Baba Yaga is a lot of like the common stories do not include a rhyme in it, but there are some that include a little rhyme that goes little hut, little hut stand with your back to the woods and your front to me. And if you've seen the witcher, that will sound very familiar. <laughs> um, and and so it was like, wow, they they did like incorporate just a lot of aspects of Bobby Yager, did little nods to the stories that have mm. been collected. And then we're able to also kind of like, you know, do their own thing with Bobby Yaga. Yeah, that's super cool. I love I just love it when they do stuff like that in all sorts of storytelling where I, we talk about this all the time on the podcast. So the thing that makes it interesting is like, yeah, it's cool when people make their things up completely on their own, whatever. But it's really fun when you can learn something new about like real life, like connected to something else. Like when someone does it yeah. like with The Witcher, you know, like you're watching The Witcher, you get to learn about like within the lore of The Witcher, what this thing is. But then you learn about like, oh, Baba Yaga. And you're like Googling it. And then 
thinking it's just a character on The Witcher. And then you're like, wait a second, why is there all this other stuff about Baba Yaga? And then you learn yeah. that it's like this whole thing. And then you start seeing things that they did, like where the knowledge of both things like plays back and forth between one another. That is just something that is very delightful to me as an individual. I don't know if everyone's that way, but I just love yeah, stuff like that. And I that. think too, like even if you are not like aware of the background to that stuff, I feel like it just makes the stories like richer. Like they, they feel more grounded in like reality and like the folk, even if you don't even know like how to put your finger on it, you're like, this feels like it's like, it, it's not yeah. made up new and completely. I mean, I feel that way with like um, the Lord of the Rings where like that mm -hmm. feels like it's it's richer it feels older you know it feels more like biblical some of the stories in there and it's because yeah. it has these like roots and even though when i was you know like in high school reading the lord of the rings i was unaware of like a lot of the the mythology and the lore yeah. it was based on it it felt right like it was like very old yeah and it is interesting because i can't even identify what it is that does that because I've read things. I feel like I don't want to trash this because I actually really like this like general genre, but like, you know, like YA dystopian like fiction that was very popular like a decade ago, like, you know, Hunger Games or yeah. like Divergent or whatever. Some, some of those I like, some of those I don't like, but some of those have this, this feeling of like, you can tell that the person like made this thing up. You know, they're like, this is this thing, and we call it this thing. And I don't know, it just has this very, like, it's kind of very yeah. surface level. And I can't identify what it is about it that is like that. Whereas, like like you said, with Lord of the Rings or something else, it just feels very, like, deep, and it feels, like, real. And I think some people can do that with fiction as well, where they do their whatever, elaborate yeah. world building, and they just know so much about their world, which is, which is half of what Tolkien did as well. Like, but... Again, half of that world building was also taking elements from real life, you know, folklore and folk tradition of other cultures around and kind of putting them together in interesting ways. So I don't know, but it's just, yeah, like you say that and I'm like, yes, you're absolutely right. But yeah, I have no idea like, why. Like this like weird, <laughs> intangible something that. Yeah. Like how do we subconsciously know that it's a real thing or what makes it feel yeah. real? Or that it's grounded in history. Wow. Because, yeah, it's like, even yeah. that we're saying, like, oh, why does this feel real? Oh, because there's a long history of, like, dwarves. And it's like, okay, well, <laughs> men living in the ground isn't real. But it has this, like, deep, long yeah. history of, of uh, like, communal imagination. And so, like, it, it just, yeah. So it's funny because we're using the word real <laughs> when... About things that are, like, totally yeah. <laughs> But it, it, yeah, I know what you mean. Is like it, it feels real. It feels like it has a history, a, uh, yeah, a historicalness to it. Historicity, I think, is an actual word that I could use. I don't know if I can use it because maybe I don't know how. <laughs> so, to kind of wrap this up about uh, Baba Yaga, I just want to say this isn't going to be the last time that we talk about a story with Baba Yaga in it. Or like Russian storytelling. So in the back of this Russian fairy tales book put out by Pantheon, it says, to what extent is the repertory of the Russian tale plots original? A Leningrad scholar, Andrew, tried to find an answer to this question. 
He followed the system of tail cataloging used by Arn from the Arn Thompson Uther index and completed Arn's European tail index with an inventory of Russian plots. Statistical analysis of all these data indicated that the plots common to the Russian and Western European tail represented only about one third of the entire index. About one third was specifically Russian and do not occur in Western Europe. So there's a lot to stories from Russia. When we are looking at like European fairy tales, a lot of German, French, Italian tales all seem very similar. They're very, very close to each other. Usually the differences yeah. are differences of time where like the story had been written down a hundred years before by Jean Baptiste Basile. And then a hundred years later, it's Charles Perrault. And then a hundred years later, it's, and so really th right. the stories only change based on like the, the storyteller, the audience and time, uh, but they stay very similar. But in Russia, you see something completely different happening because they're borrowing from different influences and they also are coming up with stories that are unique to them. And so Russian fairy tales like you do it. It's weird because in our minds, geopolitically, we think of Russia as Europe. Yeah. But Russia, like historically and landmass wise aren't in Europe. They have a lot of their own stuff going on that makes them a really culturally rich area to look at for folklore. And so this will definitely not be the last time that we see the <laughs> extremely terrifying Baba Yaga. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you enjoy what we're doing, please leave us a review or share us with your friends. Also consider supporting us on Patreon for access to exclusive bonus content, including outtakes and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash thefairytellers. Special thanks to Andrew Foray for our music and to Clarice Inch for our artwork. And of course, a big thank you to all our patrons. Without all of you, this show wouldn't be possible. Fairy tales are always more interesting when something is added to them. Each new telling recharges the narrative, making it crackle and hiss with cultural energy. Maria Tatar Oh, my brain just broke.